thank you so much. And for the other version of who I am, call my wife. She will tell you the true version of who I am. He ain't that good. That's the first line she would say, he ain't that good. But I've given her all my money for 40 years. It's a, all, all of it. And she's given me some lunch money on occasion. And, um, and I do everything she tells me to do. That makes for a great marriage. 40 years. And she still is the apple of my eye. But greetings from, greetings from North America. Um, it is such always a privilege to be here. I had the great privilege of being with Carol this morning, um, with Pastor Carol, and have watched her through the years. And I uh, consistently remark to the team at Rosebank and Simon and, and Roger that it's amazing to see a woman that is a leader of her stature um, that rises up and what a remarkable thing she has done over there. And then Rosebank, you are amazing. Um, uh, last time I was here, I took a photograph and everybody was waving and, and uh, when I got back to the office, the staff, that was been the talk of, of the staff is just my stories about this church. But thank God that Roger finally let Simon and Lindy take over because I hear that things are actually doing great since then. And, um, you know, I tell Roger all the time, I said, finally, an old guy got out of the way and a young man stepped up. And so, um, but Simon and Lindy, what a wonderful job that you're doing. And um, again, Roger, my hat is off to Roger and Nicola um, just to realize the season uh, of life that they're in. And so you are a remarkable church. You are actually uh, one of the most significant churches in our entire movement. Um, we draw consistently on your brain trust. And of course, we venerate the webs. We have a little David, we have a little web statues in our little <laughs> bow to them. And everything that they've done at the Havens for many, many years is just it's remarkable. This is, this is my greatest treat to be here. I always leave far better than I came. And my wife, that's the reason she came and visited once. She hates airplanes and has claustrophobia, but if she'll get in once, it's a miracle. And it's because I always talk about you and what is here. And so Roger asked, I mean, Simon asked me if I would speak this morning and uh, when they told me about what they're speaking on, I only have one sermon out of the book of Judges, and it's my favorite spot. And so if you've ever heard me talk about this before, it's fine because it's all I'll ever say. Um, <laughs> if you talk about, I know that you're talking about the best year, having the best year of your life, that that is the subject that you're working through, that you're thinking about, and that you're reasoning about. And how do you deal, first of all, with the private things in your soul that keep you from being the man of God or the woman of God that He so desires you to be? Um, and how do you overcome those things and really engage life at that level? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And one of the greatest books in all the Bible to read is the book of Judges, the one that you have chosen. If you want to study Leading in bad times, read the book of Judges, the entire book. It is, it is how God intervenes on the downward spiral of a society and raises up a leader to engage the godlessness and the brokenness and the fracturedness 
of a society and how he engages that with a leader. And so when you open the books, the pages of the book of Judges, you are struck by the vastly different kinds of leaders that God used to call Israel back to himself. He didn't have just this a singular template. It wasn't cookie cutter. And that's why I love the book of Judges, because it's a head twister. I mean, Gideon was part of the problem. He was in a hole, hiding. He was part of the problem. And so when you, Samson, how many think he was an issue? Brother had some issues. I mean, lots of issues. And God tagged him. And that's a head turner. You know, that's a, that's a you got to be kidding me story. Gideon is a, you got to be kidding me story. But my favorite, you got to be kidding me story is Deborah. Found in the fourth and fifth chapter of the book of Judges. It was a very critical time. Shagmar was the previous judge. And it said that he had killed 600 men with an ox goad. So how many of you look at some of the feats of these mighty men that were the judges and you think, oh, yeah, he big and he bad and he the man. And then you get to Deborah. He ain't a man. How many of you know that's quite obvious? And in the Bible, when something defies the culture of its day, take extra notice. Take extra notice. When, when the principles of culture are defied and God makes a decision. Now, when God chose Deborah, he was not trying to deal with the issue of women in society. And I know that's hard to say with women in the room, but let me tell you, actually, he had a grand desire that probably was remarkably bigger than that. And that was to save an entire ethnicity. I mean, think that's a small job. That's why he tagged Deborah. Now, I want to unpack some lessons from reading Deborah's life. And these are not absolutes. When, you, when you're studying a leader and you're seeing different things about them, don't canonize them and think there's one way to do anything. But if you read all the books in all the Bible, there are principles that you should canonize. This is glaring in the book of Judges. When a leader does what God wants them to do, it's always best. Canonize that, make it your life goal. Following Scripture and obeying Scripture, following what the Holy Spirit is, following God, doing what God says, canonize that. But we want to gain insight from Deborah's life. And so I want to read 1 through 4, and then we're going to start unpacking it. This is the scenario that Deborah was in. So I want you to get the feel of the horrible job that Deborah said yes to. Chapter 4, verse 1, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. And the Lord sold them, the nation of Israel, into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, and Sisera was no joke. He was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the Terminator. He was a highly skilled killing machine. 
He was the commander of the armies, and then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help from God. Because Sisera had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. This is the backdrop to when we find Deborah in 4 verse 4. Now think about it. This is the introduction to Deborah and nothing is said about this woman but this. Two sentences to tell us about Deborah. Two. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel at that time. <laughs> no backdrop. It is 20 years They've got this nation captive, and oh, by the way, there's this lady named Deborah. She got a tree named after her. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah. I mean, you think, you, you're something if they name a tree after you. And you've probably been sitting under that tree a lot. And so she had. Between Ramah and Bethel and the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel would come up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Now, presupposition here. She's confronting this guy about something that he already knew. But had done nothing. Nothing. He hadn't raised a finger to do what God had told him to do. So, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, go gather the men of Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go, but if you don't go with me, I ain't going to go. That's a, tech, that's a Tennessee translation. I ain't going to go. That, that means I'm scared. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road in which you're going on will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out of Zebulun, Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. I want to talk about a certain kind of person. How many of you have ever met that kind of person that you meet them and they're a superstar? They were created in their mother's womb to be a superstar. They have genetic strands to be a superstar. They have an intellect that's a superstar intellect. God chooses the season and the time that they're to be born and the circumstances to, to make sure that that superstar has an environment to be a superstar in. And then you see them become the superstar. Now, I am an advocate of the superstar. God creates the superstar. There are very few of them that are ever created. That's why we call them superstars. Otherwise, they would be normal. And they're not. My middle son-in-law is a superstar. Somewhere in his genetics and his past, basketball, at a global level, his skills and what God has done with him, he trains players for the NBA. 
And he makes great money doing it. He is a superstar. And they have proven that you can take me, Kevin York, and I can work all day, 24 hours a day, figure out how to not sleep, not eat, and not say hi to anyone, and I would never be a superstar trainer in the NBA. Never. 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 This idea that you can do anything you've ever wanted in all of life to do everything is a lie. It's just a lie. No. No, 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 no. But let me tell you this. God created you to be a superstar. You didn't. You were made in your mother's womb to transform a larger footprint. And so God loves superstars, but not arrogant, condescending, godless superstars. And so if you're a superstar in this room, you may be a corporate superstar or an academic superstar. We're not going to talk about you. But I want you to know this, that if you are, God expects the same thing out of you that He does with non-superstars. He wants you to be godly. He wants you to walk in the boardroom with an ethical, moral fabric about you that is remarkable and outstanding in the world today. He wants you to take your giftedness and use it for His glory. And you will be held accountable for that. But, the, but, but that doesn't mean that all of us normal folk, how many of you raise your hand if you're a normal folk? I went through that list and you go, okay, I'm none of those. None. See, the masses are all the rest of us. And God chooses unlikely people to lead. Would you please write that down? God chooses unlikely people to lead. Deborah was unlikely. She was the head turner. Her day job was sitting under a tree as a judge. I mean, that's pretty important. And she was a prophetess. And so that was her day job. Now, you just read, we just read about the oppression and the massive army of Sisera. 40,000 troops and 900 chariots, and they were killing machines. And God taps Deborah on the shoulder and says, you're the woman. You're going to you're going to be my vessel to fix all this. Now, why did he choose Deborah? Okay, she might have been a superstar in the prophetess lane. She might have been a superstar in the sitting under a tree bringing wisdom lane. She might have been a superstar in the judgment lane. But in the war, kick butt, take names, kill people lane, not so much. Not so much. We learn a lot about her by her name. Two sentences is all we got. You know what her name means? Honeybee. Now, in a battle, that's not real ferocious. How many of you know that's not ferocious? And they name people according to some... She, she was a honeybee. Now, if you're going to go out to war, you don't want to have on all of your shields, beware of the honeybee. You just, you don't. She had no superstar skills. She was probably an average or a small Jewish woman. She had never picked up a sword. She didn't know how to kill people. I mean, all the skills of battle were absent. Why did God choose her? Now listen, 
God was up to something because he went to the real superstar. Barack. He would demand. Oh yeah. His name means lightning. Now in a war, you get to choose between two commanders. Okay, are you tracking with me? You, you, you're, you get to choose. Okay, I want to go out to battle with honeybee. Or lightning. How many of you choose lightning? How many of you choose lightning any day you choose lightning? How many of you would choose lightning with two broken legs over a honeybee? Absolutely. But so that tells us something. And this is the, this is the nasty backdrop. The nasty backdrop. See, Barack wasn't afraid. He was like, you read chapter 5, it says this about Israel. Now they were held captive and they were not allowed to have swords or any fighting implement. For 20 years, it says in the fifth chapter, when she was singing the song of praise to God, she said, you could not find one sword amongst 40,000 male Jews. So you're Mr. Lightning. You're Mr. Warrior. And you were looking at a trained killing machine that brought fear to everyone. And you turn and look at your dudes. Swordless. Skillless. And most of them afraid. And godless. Now, Israel was never known for their great military might or their great wealth. Israel throughout all of history was known for one thing alone. Is God with them or is God no longer with them? If God was no longer with them, that struck no fear in the pagan nations and they could pillage them at will without any trouble. In fact, this lies between the death of Joshua and the birth of the kings is the book of Judges. And when the kings were born, God said, okay, okay, I'll give you a king, but let me tell you about my kings versus the kings of the world. My kings will never raise a large amount of money and put it in a storehouse. You go read the qualifications. That's why Solomon was a mockery to God. Because Solomon didn't rely on God for provision. He amassed wealth and oppressed the people and he got this wealth. No, he said, okay, I want my kings to live meagerly because I want them to wake up every day and God, you've got to supply our need. He said, my, you can't build big armies because, listen, Israel, you ain't big and you ain't bad. You will never cause fear in the Assyrian armies or the Babylonian armies, or the Egyptian armies. Never. You won't cause, but if you are with me. Huh. Different story. Barak heard all that. Barak knew all that. And he said no. You know why he tagged this unlikely honeybee? Is because, not because of what she had. It's because she would say Yes. She would just say yes. Now you might think this is her first yes. No, this is the 10,000th yes. She became faithful at saying yes to God. 
For decades, she said yes to God. And in the darkest of times, the scariest of times, when this was going to risk her very life, it didn't matter. She said yes. Because she was not godless. Barak said no. He was godless. Along with the rest of the nation. So God tags Deborah. Deborah was just going to say yes, and God knew it. This year, I want to challenge you. If you want to have a great year, some of you, may that just may mean that you need to say yes about the dark areas of your soul and begin to deal with them on a daily basis and turn your nose into yeses this year and begin to progress towards a yes. I remember... When I used my wife, see in my marriage, when he first got married, I thought my job was to fix my, my evil wife. Now, how many of you guys know that is far easier than fixing you? How many of you men know that? How many of you women know it's far easier for your husband to try to figure out how to fix you, since all of them stared at me, <laughs> than fix me, see? So when he wanted me to fix me, I said no. And no again, and no again, but what about that woman you gave me? This year, I want to challenge you to begin to say yes. In the private, secret times of your life. Say yes to good morals. Say yes to good ethics. Say yes to dealing with your anger and rage and lust and hate and bitterness. Say yes to all that. Because there's going to be a day that God needs an unlikely leader to go outside of their lane of expertise. In the rank and file of the normal people across the world, can He trust that you will say yes? Ungodly people never say yes with something that is substantially needing to happen somewhere they won't say yes. They'll be just like Barak. They have habitualized no. And when God says it involves saving an ethnicity, an entire ethnicity, Barak still said no. So he chooses the unlikely. Next thought. When you are an unlikely leader and God chooses you and you say yes, guess what's going to happen? Likely leaders, superstars, superstars that were hidden in the society, but said no to God, you will challenge them by you saying yes. <laughs> Deborah. Oh, what a person Deborah was. She said yes. I mean, you know, this guy looks like a superstar. God challenges the likely when you say yes. So Deborah says yes. Look at this. Look at this scripture about all the talent that lie dormant in Israel. Next slide. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Makir, marched down. Everybody say the word out loud. Commanders. Say commanders. commanders. Say that out loud. Commanders. commanders. Okay. So Israel was full of commanders commanding nothing. They commanded nothing and no one. They were superstars in battle that didn't lift a finger. 
to do anything. And so God chose a honeybee to slap them by her actions in the face, much like Joan of Arc as a teenage girl to the French. And when you say yes to God, look at this, commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff, there were lieutenants lieutenanting nothing. Why did he have to tap her? Because she would say, yes. Yeah, God. Uh, God gave her a stupid plan. How many of you know most of the time we read God's plan and it's stupid? I mean, this is the plan that God told Deborah. Which is why military people said, you're kidding me. I'm not going to do that. So, so God tells Deborah, he says, okay, and the princes of Issachar, what were they princing? The heck were they princing? Now, how many of you feel like there were leaders all over the nation? Massive leadership ability. Hiding and godless and fearful and trapped. Don't you think that about your neighborhoods? Don't you think that about South Africa? That lying within this nation is plenty of human resource. But why is it that God looks on that and He, he goes, okay, I find all kinds of people with skill and superstar ability that say no. So I'm just going to go to somebody that has habitually said yes to me and their soul and their life for decades. And I'm going to tap them. Now imagine the picture going out to battle. Here, Barak says, listen, um, Deborah, okay, fine, you prophetess, you prophetess that knows the will of God. So you tell me that God's big plan that He gave you is to go down into the valley, the Kishon Valley, that is flat and it's perfect for chariots. It's perfect for chariots. It is flat. Oh, versus some kind of plan where we could like hide up on the rocks where the chariots can't come and we negate their 900 chariots. Oh no! No, the brilliant idea is just to go down where all the chariots can skew us like shish kebab. Now think of it. You're a godless man. You're a practitioner. You're a scientist. You're best in your field. And you hear a plan like that. And you know you don't have a single sword in all of Israel. What the heck would you do? So when Deborah comes to Barak and says, imagine that. I love this. The honeybee summons lightning to come to her. I just love that. I just, I just love that. This, I ain't got time to get up out of from underneath my tree, so go tell lightning to come here. I love the meeting. She probably goes, could you bend down? No, a little further. And then grabs him by the shirt collar. She tells him the plan. This is what Barack thought. This is a suicide mission. And so you big bad prophetess with the word of God, okay, fine. Um, I'm not going unless you go. I don't think he was afraid at all. I think he knew they were going to die. He had 10,000 men, they had 40. They were trained, his weren't. They had fine weaponry, and he had none. And he says, okay, prophetess, you said yes to God then you come and spend your life doing it. Imagine the scene. 
Deborah mounting a horse, the honeybee. How many of you know she was not like impressive and inspirational riding into a suicide mission? But what did she do? She got in the face of the man that had refused to do anything about it. And he looked at her. Make no mistake, I'm not talking about changing easy things. I'm talking about difficult, horrific things that plague societies. If, if you're going to engage those things, when you do, and you don't have the skills or the ability, but you have the godliness and the faith and trust, you just watch what God does. Now, don't get bitter when the real kings and queens of your society rise up and take over and do a great job because you just did your job. And then you'll go back to your day job sitting under the tree and judging for a nation. But you won't mistakenly try to put on a helmet and go out and try to become Xena warrior princess when your honey be the prophetess. God says in Romans 8 that we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought when it comes to our gift. Or in Romans. Romans 12, sorry. The, ne the next thing that happens, when you lead, God intervenes. Everybody say God intervenes. Now, this is pretty important. Um, uh, the plan that God had was really stupid. And so if that was going to work, it was going to take a miracle. When you look at issues in South Africa, how many of you take, think it's going to take a lot of human effort and then it's going to take a miracle? How many of you think that? Uh, I think that's all of life is like that. See, there's two theological positions, human effort and what God is going to do. And theologically, I believe our job is to do what humans should do. We should make effort. And then at the end of the day, you go, okay, God, unless you split the sky like this, going down into the river thing and watching the chariots come, hope you got a plan for that too. And he did have a plan for that. Look at these verses. It says, Lord, when you went out from Sire, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. Now, I know people wouldn't understand that in the Cape. Um, and we've been praying for the Cape. But notice what it says. Now, next verse. It says, when the gods were chosen, <laughs> then the war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen amongst 40,000 in Israel? There you go. That's the scripture. Now, let's, let's think about this for a minute. The way you take out chariots is to make mud. So in the Kaishan Valley... When it flooded, it turned into a mud bog. Now, God was brilliant because he, not only did he want them just to not use their chariots, he was going to immobilize them with lucky mud. In case you don't believe God does miracles, then it was just lucky mud. But this mud appeared from this rain. And I love how Deborah, she, she sings the song and she says, the stars in the heavens were arrayed against the enemies of God. And he brought this flood, and now even the generals 
four-wheel drive chariot got stuck. The chariots were taken out of commission immediately. How many of you know when you say yes to God, He will, He will do His part. And that's always a miracle. We're always betting on a miracle. All Deborah said was, well, okay. I'll confront the man. Next slide. Is godly leaders give God the glory and the last thought and the people the credit. Um, when Deborah sings this song, she gives all the glory to God and she takes no credit. I want to talk about that for a minute. There was a learning channel program called Say Yes to the Dress. Is that, you remember that, ladies? Say yes to the dress. And, and I saw it stealthing through the living room as all my kids. And, and I said, I, I don't even understand what that means. Say yes to the dress. Like you talk to dresses. And, and so my daughter said, Dad, it's you try on a dress. And you come out and you see if, it, if you like it. And then you say yes to it. I thought, wow, that's a program, huh? Folks, watch, watch that. And so, but this was the idea that what you put on, sometimes you don't look good in it. Other times you look amazing in it. Now I want to tell you something. Glory never looks good on you. It never looks good on a human. Ever. But I promise you, it's one of the most deadly elements of leadership in the world today is glory. This old, cratchety, almost dead pastor at 89 looked at me, 86, and he goes, Kevin, he had a gruff voice. Three things will kill you in ministry. Gold, glory, or girls. And he said, let me tell you, Kevin. And I mean, he was in my face. You touch one, and you'll get them all. Deborah had just done something amazing, but listen, she didn't do actually anything. She confronted an ungodly man and then she rode out and sat on a horse. Everybody else did everything. And that's the truth. And she took none. None of that. In fact, when she was prophesying to Barak and said, okay, I'll go with you, but a woman will bring down the armies, she wasn't even talking about herself. That was another woman named Jael. And that woman lived in a tent. And her husband was a defector from Israel. And he had become an ungodly, godless man that sided with the Canaanites. And became a Canaanite worshiper. And that was in her gall. That was in her gut. And she was a godly woman. And what do you know? God stuck his chariot, Sisera's chariot, and chariot jumped down and fled. And he went right to her tent. She gave him a sleeping pill. And he lies down to go to bed and she drives a stake through his head, which is why I have never even thought of trying to abuse my wife. <laughs> no, no, it's because my woman, my woman has a 9 millimeter Smith & Wesson and, and a 38, and she is not afraid to do it, and she's a good shot. And I just have all... Now, I have wondered if she was going to abuse me many times, but... You know, she's never been that. But So this is the point. When God taps you, lessons to learn from Deborah. 
is on occasion in life if you habitualize saying yes to him in your private life. And you have a moral life founded in Christ and submission to him. And you have an ethical life founded in the ethics of Jesus. And you realize the only reason you exist is to serve and please God. Then when you walk into the boardroom and you're tapped and you think, why me? But you walk in there because you're tapped and it's out of your lane. It's probably temporary. I mean, there's, there's one point that I missed that when, when godly leaders, when, when godly, unlikely leaders lead, Many times nobody follows you because you're not impressive. I mean, look at your neighbor. You're just not impressive. We are not impressive. It said the Reubenites and the Danites, and the, they, they just sat there and didn't do anything. That's why they could only get 10,000 men. But you don't get bitter. Because you say yes to Jesus and he never lets unforgiveness get in there. Your soul is ripe and right. And if he tags you, you can say yes to him. Let's stand. I want to pray over you and then we'll, we'll have Sai come and we'll dismiss. Father, we just ask you to this year, first of all, Lord, is we ask you that we would all be yes people this year. That we would habitually begin to say yes to you in our private lives. That we would take every day seriously. That we would sin towards you and not away from you. We would fall forward always, getting up to grab you and your mercy and your grace every day. Jesus, that we would be so faithful to say yes. That we would be building the kind of soul that you can trust with the depravity of the world. And you would tap us. And maybe this year it would be our year to engage in the small things that make a big difference. In Jesus' name, amen.